<laughs> I don't know if Noah told you this, but he's like, <laughs> when he first reached out to me about being on your guys' podcast a while back, he's like, all right, so like, come up with something to talk about. And I'm like, okay, so I need to think of something that like I have some experience on that these guys A, haven't covered and B, already don't know or are better at than me. So I sent Noah an initial list and he... And that, oh, that's he a very long list. He said it wasn't good enough. Like, I think, what was it? It was being tall, putting sunscreen on, having red hair. Connor. No. Please, ex- please, ex- <laughs> please explain to the people the origins of corn fuse. Wow. Well, it's funny. It's funny you ask. Uh, I. It's. It's been long told through through lore and legend <laughs> that to be corn fused is a concept that was artificially infused into the minds of the first alien contact uh, uh the first the first individuals to have had alien contact uh they were they were found in the first ever uh crop circles and the only english that they could then repeat from that time on was i am corn fused uh, so it's, I'm not really sure where the conspiracy goes. Uh, it's my understanding that it runs pretty deep far enough back. I've, I've heard, I've read some articles that trace it back to the U S government. It's, it's a slippery slope, but, uh, it's, uh, if ever you hear any, if you ever hear anyone who claims to be corn fused, uh, I would, I would urge you first of all, to take them as seriously as you possibly can. Um, and second of all, uh, to to hear out the entirety of their story because they probably got some crazy things to say, assuming they have in fact relearned the English language by that point. Uh, okay, so I had never thought about it this way until you just described that story. Um, you know, you know, like the word infused. Uh, yeah. You know, corn fused, not being just introducing the R into the word confused, but literally being fused by corn. Um, if there's oh, like, wow. uh, you know what I mean? Are you, are you suggesting that the great corn people of Des Moines, Iowa are responsible for this? Y- yes. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Us Iowans, okay. maybe aliens are <laughs> corn fused. They are fused by corn. I, wow. Wow. I've <laughs> never, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, uh, Iowans, aliens, yeah, pretty much I, the same word. <laughs> not that many letters different. Anyway, no. uh, before we jump too far down this rabbit hole, we have a special guest with us, um, Joshua Curry. Uh, Josh, say hello and introduce yourself, please. Hello, everyone. Um, I guess I'm a little concerned after that initial conversation being that the person that I have heard say that phrase the most in my life is, well, who up until this point I thought was my father. So I guess, you know, now I'm not, now I'm not really certain anymore. Well, no, but that's actually, 
that's important. What does right? that make because, me? Well, your dad, your dad farms, correct? He does. Yes. Well, and there you Dakota, go. So I mean, he's corn is close. The man wow. is corn fused, and and yep, the man's corn fused, and you are by association also corn fused. But we're all aliens anyway, and it's all a simulation. So that's true. We're all corn fused. Yeah, it doesn't it, does, it doesn't really matter. So we'll get to that later, though. I think. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be the best hour and a half of my entire life. <laughs> we're gonna have everybody convinced uh, they're corn fused by the end of this. I would. I I love it. Oh, I love it. Anyway, Josh, I interrupted. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, so obviously I'm Josh Curry. For those of you who don't know me, um, I am friends with both Noah and Connor. Uh, Noah's and I's friendship goes back a little further. We actually went to undergrad at Augustana together. Um, we took a couple of classes later on together when Noah was still around for his uh, super semester. <laughs> um, and then we <laughs> and then we ended up going to law school together, actually, and then we became pretty close friends there. Um, now I'm uh, a attorney in Minneapolis, uh, met Connor through Alchemy, and now we're here. Now we're here. And now we're here exposing the, the greatest secrets of, I would argue, <laughs> not just not just the United States, but probably of the world and of the galaxy. Well, uh, in, the, really. in the grand, in a hundred percent, in the grand scheme of things, uh, this is the only question, right? That that just where we come from, the universe, conspiracies, all that, that all that, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the only question. Uh, Josh conveniently left out the fact that we are essentially living out a uh, our college lives in what was uh, <laughs> used to be dorms is uh, instead of a dorm we now share share an apartment apartment building and so we are effectively getting older but not growing up uh, and it's been That's fantastic. True. Wow. Yeah. And that is the dream. <laughs> no one I didn't exactly have that kind of experience in uh, undergrad because. Noah played football and I didn't play football. So, you know, <laughs> I was super not cool and not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, one, one, I'm not super proud of this, but it is what it is at this point. Uh, and, and, and keeping in theme with extraterrestrial creatures, uh, the athletes at Augie had a name for the non athletes. Uh, and it was the <laughs> Call the Martians. Uh, really? Yes, that was the that was the, and I I, I think it was like kind of a well known thing. I, I I I'm not sure I personally ever used it very much. I'm sure I did a few times, but of the more uh, jock inclined athletes, especially <laughs> they loved the term uh, Martians. That's so. I funny. was initially. I had a- yeah. I was initially made aware of it during intramural sports when we would play like the, the football team in intramural basketball or whatever, and they would be calling us the Martians. I was like, I guess I'm not totally certain what our team name is, but I don't think it's that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I, I think I think oh, I think boy. the reason I think the reason for it is uh, so Augustina is obviously a liberal arts college, um, known for kind of relatively high academic standards. Uh, a lot of really smart kids go there, um, and so obviously, if you contrast that with a lot of the football guys who you know may not have had the best test scores, uh, certainly by those Allegedly. standards. So, yeah, well, true. Uh, the um, the non-athletic kids were then thought of as, you know, what could be construed as a compliment, uh, just intelligent species. Uh, non-athletes were the intelligent species. Not of this world. <laughs> Not of this world. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah. I appreciate ahead, the Jeff. spin, so... <laughs> that's the story that's the story i tell myself so i can sleep at night and feel good so uh, I, was, I was gonna say it sounds like a very convenient spin but hey <laughs> uh, it's uh if it hits home it hits home uh yeah. it's funny it's funny you say that i feel like uh the i had almost the opposite experience at McAllister, where like if you were an athlete it's like you were the the untouchable not like untouchable like high above everyone else like untouchable like why on earth would i want to associate with you yeah 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 it's a it's a a weird it's it's a it's a weird dynamic um that i think exists at a lot of the smaller schools of like the athlete versus non-athlete different from like the larger campuses because on the smaller campuses like Augie especially felt like it was like half athlete, half not. Maybe I'm wrong there, but no, uh, that's probably, what, I mean it felt that way. Yeah, which is a very different dynamic than the bigger schools, and so it really does. I mean, <laughs> it's not that different from like politics when you get out of college, right? It's like an us versus them type of thing that just happens naturally, hmm. uh, and it's a, yeah. a very a very human thing. Um, I'm not sure I fully like grasp the like human element of that tension before this conversation but i mean it would make sense uh kind of given that it's about 50 50 at least at augustana could be wrong that yeah, makes sense i mean yeah it makes sense yeah counter give us an update on i feel like i've been like disconnected from alchemy so i i we haven't talked about this in a while, but like where things stand, uh, how are things going? Like with in the COVID era, um, just the update generally, uh, now that you've kind of back in the saddle in Minneapolis and yeah. wrapping up, I saw, uh, I saw that it, when I read, um, your blog post. And so, uh, if you want to tell oh, people sure. where to tell people where to find that too, if they want to read that, um, <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah. So the, well, the blog post itself was, uh, I wrote up a little something speaking to the power of community and the importance of, uh, finding and maintaining community in these times where we are by no means of our own forced apart, uh, and how alchemy has begun using alchemy anywhere, the, the virtual platform as a means to sustain, the communal feel and the the culture 
that has made alchemy what it is in the first place. Uh, so that if you go to the alchemy website and, and hop onto the blog, you'll see it as I think the most recent post, if it's not right there, it's called an alchemy promise. Uh, and you'll see me cheesing like a fool with actually fun fact. Uh, if you look at the picture that's on that blog post, if it looks like my art, like my arms are artificially like confined to my sides, uh, because it, it, so we were doing a photo shoot and it's, it's classic, like, all right, pretend somebody told you a funny joke and start laughing. And then they took a couple photos and uh, one of the, the people in charge of the shoot was like, hey, can you just like pull your arms down a little bit? Uh, and I think I had like invisible <laughs> lat syndrome going on or something. They were, they were like puffing out by my sides. Uh, so if it looks like I'm getting squeezed in. That was uh, an artistic choice. Um, <laughs> but uh, generally, generally speaking, alchemy is... I would say, given the circumstances, all things considered, Alchemy's in a in a very good place. Uh, we've at least at Adina, we've had very high utilization for spots that we have open for people taking class. Uh, I think right now we're still mandated by the state to be at twenty five percent capacity, which for us means no more than seventeen athletes in class at any given time. Uh, but you know, it's not uncommon for me to have classes that are that are full and with a wait list. Uh, Alchemy Anywhere has been, I think, doing well. Our number, our, our member base, continuing to grow, and we're continuing to have more engagement and getting a lot of good feedback from members in studio and on the virtual platform. Uh, the coaches that I talk to seem to be in good spirits. I think leadership is is doing things the right way to ensure that nobody feels lost as things become different and as they continually evolve with you know, the Alchemy Anywhere and, you know, who knows what news we're going to get and who knows if and when we're going to be forced to close down again. And there's just so much going on. There's so many moving pieces that I think that all things considered, uh, we're doing a good job of responding to all those things as they show up. Uh, so, I mean, purpose, personally speaking, I I couldn't be happier. It's, it is truly a dream come true to be back and to be, to be coaching again. And getting to work with athletes and see old faces and meet new faces and uh, especially selfishly have a chance to get into the studio during off hours and move a barbell around again. Uh, it just, I, I, it's, oh, it's really everything I could ask for except besides, besides one notable exception. We were saying before we got on air that today is national ice cream day, which is of course, very exciting. Uh, <laughs> And ordinarily, I would say, is the single best piece of July 19th. But I must say that National Ice Cream Day is a second place finish because today, July 19th, is sweet Mumsy Fleming's birthday. Oh. So Mumsy, Mumsy, whenever you listen to this, happy birthday. Uh, at the time of this recording, I called you already so no no pulling any shots uh but she is uh she's having a good day and i think she will have by this point she has gotten her massage and she uh david is making her a big steak dinner so sorry All right. that was very tangential but important no is, is she an very ice cream important. fan she is a big ice cream fan uh we i i think we talked i think maybe we talked about this on the podcast uh when we were growing up it was not at all uncommon for 
three to four pints of Ben and Jerry's to be in the freezer at any <laughs> given time. Uh, typically, typically Americone Dream and mm, strawberry mm-hmm. cheesecake and uh, chocolate chip cookie dough is a classic. Um, mm-hmm. And then like half baked was another popular flavor as well. Um, yes. So she's a big ice cream fan. Um, but she is also in the process of, uh, she just started a, uh, low carb keto diet that she's trying out for a little bit. So no ice cream cake for Karen. No ice cream for Karen. Oh man. Yeah. We, uh, so I'm currently sitting in the family vacation haven that is Branson, Missouri. (laughs) Um, and it is hotter than it's so hot here. But uh, I was just informed about two hours ago that it was National Ice Cream Day, and we here at the Heisman household are absolute ice cream fiends. And so you can you can believe we will be partaking. I had Sonic for the first time in years yesterday. They're what they're like. Well, I had a Sonic Blast is like the name of their ice cream, whatever dish, and I got a cookie dough. But what I was gonna say is, uh, having recently had a, bl- a the s'mores Blizzard from Dairy Queen, which is still far and away my favorite, and then also a Reese's McFlurry from McDonald's, and now a cookie dough Sonic Blast from Sonic. Uh, the Sonic Blast is like no, like twice the size of what you get at Dairy Queen or McDonald's. And I got the medium. So like I don't even want to know how many calories are in that thing. Uh, but so- for, anybody, for anybody that has not had the S'mores Blizzard at Dairy Queen, I cannot recommend that enough. The S'mores Blizzard? It's seasonal. Uh, what? What? Seasonal to when? Like the summer? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Well, maybe that's maybe that's what I do today. I will <laughs> I will admit I've never yeah. I've never been to Sonic. I never in my life have I had Sonic in any way, shape, or form. Uh hmm. and I couldn't tell you the last time I went to DQ. So I think it sounds like it. I'm I think today's the day. I think it's meant to be. Uh Josh, what'd you Are you barely start? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, Connor, did you, are you purely store-bought ice cream then, or like, do you just have a different place? Or, I mean, he makes his own, that likes right? ice cream. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if, you, if, we're, if we're talking like actual ice cream, uh, I will – if it is available to me, I'll default to Ben & Jerry's for sure. Um, <laughs> I, went to, I went to Sebastian Joe's for the first time in my life about uh, – With a woman? Few, like two weeks ago? With, with a, a woman, woman. <laughs> I, went with, I went with a woman. Oh man! I went with a woman, and I got, yeah. I got, uh, I tried their Oreo, which I was told. So I'm, I'm a big cookies and cream guy. Like regardless of brand, when in doubt, I'll probably go cookies and cream or Oreo. And I was told that Sebastian Joe's Oreo puts traditional cookies and cream and Oreo flavors to shame. So of course, I naturally had to try it, and sure enough. Tip of the cap to you, Sebastian Joe's. Oreo was delicious. It was very, very good. I personally prefer Izzy's to Sebastian Joe's. 
It's my it's my two cents. Mm. Uh, talk me through it. Why do you? Why, what makes you say that? I don't know. Uh, I don't have a good reason for it, um, and it might be recency bias because it's been a while since I've had Sebastian Joes. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, there's something about Izzy's. I got the uh, Josh. What flavor did you guys get today? Yeah, uh, we got one. The, the salted butter caramel <laughs> swirl, so I think is what it's yep. called. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's extremely good. And then I can't remember what one Meg got. It was some sort of chocolate concoction. So, yeah, they're, they're, their flavors somewhat fluctuate by day. And I think last time I went there with Josh and Meg uh, – I got the salted caramel, but then I also they also had like this, um, uh, like cheesecake ice cream, mm-hmm. and I am mm-hmm. such a sucker for cheesecake ice cream. I pulled the trigger oh. and I I ate that thing in like a, a, less than a minute. It was so good. Um, <laughs> have we talked we about how you. actually? Yeah, I know you always comment on how fast I eat, uh, but um, Cold Stone Creamery. Have you got you guys have both been there, right? Yes. Uh, I I'm not sure that I've had Goldstone. Are you kidding me? I walked me? by it. Dude, so okay, uh I walked by it almost every day when I worked at the Mall of America. Uh I would walk up from Lulu to Chipotle and walk by it on the third level by the food court every single day and never went. I just I I like fangirled as I walked by and like ogled at the process, mm. but I've never actually had it. It's a lot of willpower. Well, we'll, yeah. We'll go, uh, possibly next Sunday. Maybe that's what we'll do next Sunday. Maybe, maybe hey. we'll get on board with that. Let's just, let's just try all of the different ice cream places. So like tonight you got to try DQ and their s'mores blizzard. Then we got, we got to go in order so that we have like a proper, uh, frame of reference to compare and contrast. It's the only right thing to do, I feel like. It's, uh, you know what? The scientific process would ask, would call for nothing less. <laughs> exactly uh, maybe, right. maybe that should be our, like, you know how, like, some people will, like, go to gyms and, like, give them rankings or, like, go to restaurants and give them rankings? I think we should do a full-fledged, uh, like, review. ranking of ice cream. Did, did we that. just become influencers? <laughs> Hey Josh, you have a friend. What's the name of uh, the guy that you know that started his own ice cream shop? Yeah, his name is uh, Zach Bra, and he the ice cream he is making right now is called A to Z Creamery. He's it's smaller right now because he's just doing it all by himself. But he'll post like flavors a couple times a week, and it's kind of just like a first come first serve type thing. And it'll be like, all right, the flavor is live and then two seconds later like all right we're all sold out so like i actually haven't even had any myself but everyone that i know that has had it just raves about it and how do we is this local to minneapolis yes it's local how do we okay what how do we how do we get our hands on this maybe we wait till we get really big and then we get our hands on it and and try to blow them up or we have him or we have him on the podcast and we do like I feel like that's maybe that's something that's in the card at some point. Wow, he's got this. He's got this one called S'more Fun Scooping that he posted on Jan on June twenty fifth. 
What? It looks like it would rock my socks off. It looks so good. Is it is yeah. is it stuff on Instagram? Where do I see this? Yeah. A yeah, to Z cream. Type in A to Z. Yeah. I mean the photos. Look oh my goodness! From everything I've heard. What am I looking at? Oh Dude, my gosh! Look at the one on June thirtieth. It's this orange kind of cinnamon roll. Oh, dude! Orange cream cheese frosting, caramel cinnamon dough bites, cinnamon ice cream. Are you kidding me? Jesus! Do we? I might. I might need a moment, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, dude, what on so earth? Yeah, so I heard everybody. The strawberry or the strawberry balsamic ice cream one is absolutely amazing. Oh, well, I, I have a wow. feeling uh, this dude's going to blow up because these things look amazing. And um, you're hurting here for, well, for, maybe not first, but relatively soon in the life. You heard it here. We'll say it. You heard it here first. <laughs> wow. Damn. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, for sure gonna try this whenever the opportunity allows maybe we have them on maybe that's our first ever video podcast and we do some live taste testing oh that would be so phenomenal josh get some, some true reactions <laughs> yeah josh is of course amazing. invited of course invited oh, oh my gosh anyway uh enough about ice cream uh josh i'm gonna ask you what, what's on everybody's mind uh, what's love like? <laughs> Man. <laughs> That's, uh, kind of, I, I don't know if Noah told you this, but he's like, when he first reached out to me about being on your guys' podcast a while back, he's like, all right, so like, come up with something to talk about. And I'm like, okay, so I need to think of something that, like I have some experience on that these guys A haven't covered and B already don't know or are better at than me. So I sent Noah an initial list and he And that oh, that's a very long list. He said it wasn't good enough. Like I think what was it? It was being tall, putting sunscreen on, having red hair. Um, I I'm I'm pretty good at sunscreen. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Uh, and then Noah brought up this one and I'm like, man, this is a, this is the blind leading the blind. If I've ever heard of it, but, um, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess sometimes you get lucky if that's, if that's how I can best describe me and my relationship with my fiance. <laughs> you guys both know me. Yeah, that's so. fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, one I, thing... go ahead. Connor. Well, I was, I, I was going to say, and maybe this is where you're going, Noah, but I, I know that you know by virtue of your relationship with both Josh and Meg probably have more of the understanding of the history and the origins of the relationship, but I'm curious to hear uh, about perhaps humble beginnings and what you mean when you say uh, to have gotten lucky, presumably not just in the traditional connotation when it comes to relationships, (laughs) but uh, in the actual comings about yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I would say as you answer the question, Josh, the the mm-hmm. thing that I don't I don't know if we've ever actually really talked about is the thing that I would be interested in is like as you tell the story, like when you knew, like when you decided you were gonna ask her to marry you. 
Like, like what was it? Was it a specific thing? Was it kind of just happened gradually over time? Or like, when do you remember first thinking like, yep, this is the one? Yeah. That's a, such a good question. I'm really excited for this. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I could start at the beginning. We, Meg and I both attended St. Thomas Law School together. Um, so that would have been start of 2000 or fall of 2015. We actually had all of the same, cl- every single class together, our entire first year of law school we had together because the way law school works, your first year they assign you classes and they break you into sections and your section is kind of like your family. You just do almost everything with them. Uh, Meg and I, I would say probably said 10 words to each other that entire first year of law school. We obviously knew who each other, who each other was because St. Thomas is a relatively small law school but we just never really talked uh, that much. Uh, kind of throughout that summer into the beginning of the next year, it, she started to actually hang out with some of my friends from law school. I don't know if you know them, Connor, but it was like Jerry Enright, Connor Doyle, Connor Carey. So yep. then, Great names. Our, wow. You got, yeah. you got good taste in, in names of friends. There's a, quite a variation in the name Connor there too. Three different spellings. Wow. Um, but yeah, so then she just, I guess our friends group, friend groups kind of just started to hang out um, and that's kind of where it started. And then I'd say we hung out and were mainly friends throughout the entire fall going into the winter of that year. I was like, all right, like I need to pull the trigger. I need to like ask her on a date. And I still remember it because we were hanging out. And I asked her what she was doing. Like, I was like, are you free this weekend? Are you doing anything this weekend? I think I probably asked her like five, five times. <laughs> and then every time she'd be like, oh, no, I'm not doing anything. And like the first four times, like, oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, I was nervous for one, obviously getting rejected. But and then also like, if she just says no, and then I go back to school again on Monday and like our friend group, friend groups hang out again. I'm like, Hmm, this could be bad. Uh, Hmm. but uh, yeah, no, luckily she said yes. Uh, so started kind of dating our second, second half of the second year of law school. And now we're engaged. Um, that would happen in December. So a little over six months now, uh, and then I guess Noah asked to your point. It's kind of a funny question. I feel like people ask that all the time. Uh, yeah. It's like, when do you know? Or, when do you know? Or how do you know? And it's it's such a cliche answer, but I just feel like it is true. And it's just like you hear people say all the time, "You just know when you know." Um, I I would say pretty early on, you know, just to like myself or my friends or whatever, I would do the. Oh, I, oh yeah, like I'm going to marry that girl, like that type of thing. Like, yeah. more again, more cliche, but then at some point, I mean, honestly, rel- pretty relatively early on, I think she went on like a 10-day hiking excursion in Alaska with her family. And I just remember she didn't have the best cell phone reception, so we weren't able to talk that much, and then... I just remember the whole time I was like, all right, nine days ago, eight days ago, like 
counting down the days and then it's just kind of like dang man i've definitely never felt this way about something before wow uh, that's cool yeah it was just kind of like and then now too i joke when she goes out or is gone for the weekend and i'm home she's like what'd you do all weekend i'm like i waited for you to get back all weekend <laughs> oh, God. Todd, you got you got spongebob people <laughs> i'm not actually uh, yes. There's there's a there's a classic uh, scene from a, an episode of SpongeBob where uh, SpongeBob and Patrick are acting as if they are married, and SpongeBob goes to work at the Krusty Krab and he comes home and Patrick's standing there right at the door, and he opens up the door and SpongeBob's like, "Well, what did you do all day?" And Patrick looks at him with like tears in his eyes, like, "Wait for you to get back." So I was I wasn't sure if that's exactly that's what you were referencing or. Or, uh, no, I wasn't actually. Maybe that's just that's just what love is. That's just what love is. It's truest form. <laughs> uh, that's like uh, I can't remember who says it. Uh, I think it's this guy named Bob Goff, and he talks about how uh, whenever his wife, uh, like whenever he leaves, like go on vacation or like go somewhere, um, he always thinks about it as uh, he's always coming home, and so it's like you know, every second that he's away, he's one second closer to coming back home. And so mm-hmm. whenever they, they, talk, they talk about like, Oh, like, like, how's it going? Like, where are you at? Like what's going on? And it's his, like his process is always, Oh, I'm on my way home. Uh, hmm. no, obviously there's, it's not that simple. Cause it's like, a, you, sometimes you want to actually know, <laughs> uh, how long <laughs> before you come, but, but the idea is that, uh, you know, it, his, relationship his wife that's where home is i mean it's it's the classic cliche thing of like home is wherever you are and so that's how he thinks about it is he's always on his way home which i think is a cool way to think about it yeah i like that a lot yeah i'm gonna use that one um for brownie points so <laughs> uh if we can, if we can cut I've this always... out so they can't hear this that'd be great um yeah I will... <laughs> giant, a giant beep a four four minute beep <laughs> <laughs> um i've always thought that like it, it, maybe this is the the wrong way to think about it but when i think about like when how will i know or when will i know you know, I just like think about my own experience. I it, it seems to me like there's this, there's like situations or like potential friction points where there's like some sort of tension that needs to be resolved, and like for whatever reason, with that person, you like you want to come back to the table and make it work. Where mm-hmm. in like other situations, you would just pull the ripcord. I get this is speaking for me personally. Is it's like uh just being put in situations where I, I would normally say all right it's time to walk away but having that desire to come back to the table and like make it work to me that's like the indicator what for again obviously i don't have a girlfriend right now but um it, it, that's one that's a, a marker i'm not sure it's the mark but it's it's a it's a marker at least yeah. that, that i've kind of seen in my own life yeah. No, uh, what, what, no, if anything came of, um, of the prospect of, of <laughs> Queen Elsa. 
Excuse me? <laughs> oh my good night. Uh, nothing as of yet, Connor. Actually, oh, uh, I know, I know. We were supposed to. We were supposed to. We talked about this. We were supposed to get ice cream. I think last time you and I talked about it. Um, but it ended up. I can't remember why. But it ended up just not working out that night. Uh, but she said she wanted a rain check. So we'll see. What are you doing after we get done recording this podcast? <laughs> I'm in Missouri, bro. Oh. Yeah. Darn it. I was going to say, Comfort Challenge, National Ice Cream Day, <laughs> FaceTime. Rider to ice cream. Uh, FaceTime, ice cream from afar. Oh, man. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, TBD. 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 Fair enough. Uh, Josh, I don't know that you have any – well, you, you would. You've just, ne- you've just not heard her referred to as Queen Elsa. But we'll talk yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I need to know now. I mean, with a name like that, like, yeah, that's fair. Oh, bless. That it. is fair. Um, did you guys see? This is kind of switching topics. Did you guys see the picture of that like nine hundred pound tuna that was caught? Uh, I have two questions. Well, no, I have, I have an answer and I have a question. <laughs> um, the answer is no. Unfortunately, I I haven't. Uh, the question is, uh, when you say that was kind of switching topics, what, what would connect, <laughs> connect, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, we were kind of switching cause we we're talking about catch like fish in the sea in a certain sense. Uh, sure, 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 sure. Uh, that was lucky. No. That was lucky. I, wow. I don't believe it. That's my yeah. Uh, then no, I that's a, a more than fair transition, I suppose. Uh, and no, I I can't see that. I, I can't say that I have. It's recent, recent catch. Yeah, uh, I think it was on Sports Center. Josh, did you see it? No, I didn't. Go, literally, go to Sports Center's Instagram right now, and it's the first. Uh, well, maybe not the first. I thought it was. Did I'm sure it'll be on there though. Oh, it's like ten down. Posted 17 hours ago. 907 pounds, four hours to reel in. Estimated auction value of $2 million. Could make 2,800 sandwiches and 3,100 can, 3, cans of tuna. How many rolls? What? The fact that this thing lives in the sea just like confirms to me. Like, how much of the sea is unexplored? I like it. it no, we talked about now. this, remember? I, I, I would yeah. even if you guys I literally you could recreate the exact same conversation and I would be a happy boy. I would love to start to get into this. I'm, I mean, I'm entranced by this. I think it's only ten percent of the ocean on Earth, obviously, has been explored, which is absolutely absurd. That's oh I, my god. So I I figured I just found this out recently. This is kind of related. Uh, but the, the mid, like in the, in medieval times, there's a, I can't remember the exact Latin phrase, but it's here be dragons. And, uh, back when, like before, like the new, the poor of the world, the entire globe had even been explored in all of the areas that had not yet been explored or hadn't been mapped. They would place 
either a dragon or like a Loch Ness monster and put here be dragons. And it was like, they would literally do that on medieval maps. And it was just meant to indicate that, uh, you know, outside the realm of explored territory, there could exist monsters that would eat you. Uh, which is the speculation is that that's why, uh, you know, a lot of myths involve conquering monsters is because it's the effective equivalent of, uh, exploring unexplored territory and going into the unknown, which I think is super fascinating, but it makes you wonder, especially when you see a 907 pound tuna, like there are 100, I think it's, is it, is it, uh, I think it's star Wars when at one point in the movie, there's like, there's always bigger fish. Uh, and so yep, it's like, yeah. there's a, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like there's that 907 pound tuna, but you know there's always a bigger fish that's going to eat that fish, and so it's like where does that stop? Uh, I don't know the answer, but I do think that there is. My own personal theory is that there's something that is the equivalent of the Loch Ness monster somewhere in the ocean, just lurking in the depths, in the cold depths, just taking a nap. <laughs> along a thousands of years are we talking like like godzilla yeah, man. well so what is what is time what is time to a thing that's existed forever right so i i think it's like a some sort of monster that like it's thousand year naps feel like minutes to it so it's just down in the depths hibernating one oh day it'll God. might come up might not yeah. who knows come in surface. Yep. yeah I, and the notions and the ocean's a no for me, dog. Like, I'm out. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, like, not a fan. <laughs> uh, well, we. I mean, there is something about the ocean, I think, that, like, causes, a, like, a, an extraordinary amount of anxiety for human beings. Because we talked about how, like, the open water swim part of the Iron Man is, like, or the open water swims generally like how anxiety inducing they are when you first do them just because it's black, like you're swimming in black. And so it's like the constant thought of like, what is in these waters? It, yeah. It's like, you can't think about it, man. It's like, I don't know. It's too much to think about. Yeah. I, uh, I, I will, I will readily, I will readily admit that uh, I'm not a huge fan of the, the classic, like shark attack movies. I think those are, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of like, they, they take something that is scary in theory and they overblow it for Hollywood's sake. And like, they're not actually all that dangerous, but uh, I will, I, with that said, I will also say that, uh, so my, my family goes to um, the U S Virgin islands in uh, December, most years. And for one reason or another, one year we decided uh, to watch a movie the night before we went on our trip and we decided to watch like one of those like like 47 meters down or like trapped in the depths or whatever whatever those movies are called right yeah. um and not only did they film the movie at the uh resort that we stay at every year no. uh the snorkeling trip that the people got left behind on was one that we were scheduled to go on four days later. <laughs> Is the use of word there a coincidence? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, a, a sheer, sheer coincidence. I had no idea that that was that that was going to that that was going to happen. We did still go on the circling trip. Everyone survived. Many fun times were had, but <laughs> terrifying out of principle, if nothing else. It's it's it is it's scary to think about, man. Who who knows what's out there? Who knows what's out there? And I, I think a lot of this can kind of apply or just like directly segue into what we are planning on talking about for most of this episode too. Yeah. Base. Well, uh, and I've well, yeah. Water is a really. Yeah, if you think about how much of our own planet we haven't even explored, and then you start to talk about space, which is infinite, and just like, man, we have so long, we have so <laughs> a long way to go. So uh, I I want to have the conversation about what might be out there, and I want to ask you both. Uh, Noah, I know you sent me a podcast episode of Tim Ferriss recently. I've not had the chance yet to listen to it, but I listened to another Tim Ferriss episode with um, Jana something or another. I forget her last name. Um, I'll, I'll pull it up here as I'm beginning to ramble, but she is a uh, Jana, Jana Levin, L-E-V-I-N, uh, talking about uh, time travel and extra dimensions and oh. basically the, the frameworks of space. Did you listen to this? No, I haven't, but I love talking about time travel. So uh, it's, it's unfortunately this particular point isn't related to time travel so much as it is when you said this, the concept that space is infinite. She raises a point that it is, while it's hard to conceive given our understandings of reality, that it is not impossible for space to exist uh, as like a finite space, if that makes sense, uh, where it's, it is a three dimensional existence within the parameters of a two dimensional plane that is not then attached or associated with another like three dimensional space. So the way the way that she explained it would be like, uh, imagine you're playing. I'm I'm gonna probably do a very poor job. If, if people are interested by this, you should go listen to the episodes. It's very fascinating. But imagine uh, that our like uh, the entirety of space is almost like a board of Pac-Man, and where like you eventually you make it all the way over to the right, and you reappear on the left. Like it's not, it's not like it just continues in perpetuity, but it is in oh, fact, it's a loop like finite. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, like, a, like a donut is, I think is the other way that she describes it. Yeah. Uh, I under, I would, I would understand that except for how then does the universe continue to expand if it essentially is only feeding back into itself? Uh, I don't know. That I that's, do not know. That's, yeah, but I understand her point, and it's an interesting one. Uh, it, it, I also just recently – so I, I, I have this book. I hadn't started reading it until this week, um, but it's called Merlin's Tour, Tour of the Universe, and it's uh, Neil, deGrasse Tyson, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
Mm-hmm. And he talks about some of this stuff. And I realize how actually just illiterate I am when it comes to like space in the universe and all <laughs> of that kind of stuff. Uh, one of, uh, can I share the most fascinating thing I read in here? It blew my mind. And I was one of my favorite things to think about. I do want to talk about time travel though. But anyway, one, I do you guys know how long it took us to get to the moon the first time? I did not know this. Uh, no, I do no. not. Much shorter than you think. Oh. Yeah, 72 hours. That's it. Really? Yes. It literally only took 72 hours. Huh. Yeah, that's definitely shorter than I thought. It seems ridiculous, but Josh, and then and then of course it talks about the Sea of Tranquility, which was an answer to a trivia question I got wrong about a week ago, whenever that was. So I'll never get that question wrong again. Promise you. Good. Anyway, <laughs> this isn't. That's not the thing that blew my mind the most. So in this book, he basically what he does is like the most common questions about space. He like goes through and answers. Like people actually write him letters. And one of the questions is, if someone were to <laughs> if someone were to cut a hole through the center of the Earth, uh, essentially because of gravity, what would happen when they reach the middle, right? Uh, would they be suspended in the middle because of competing forces of gravity? Uh, or what would happen? Um, it, and, you know, though he starts by answering, well, first of all, if you remove the fact that they would be burned alive by the 11,000 degree heat of the molten core, uh, what would actually happen is even though the center of earth is zero gravity, basically if you jumped in the hole and momentum continued to build, it would carry you through the center of the zero gravity where you would decelerate to, to like basically to precisely the time where you reach the other end of the earth. So you would like continually slow down. So you would actually reach the other end through this like continually slowing process. And then obviously, unless somebody reached out and grabbed you, you would just fall back down the hole and continue that process over and over again. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. Yeah. And guess how long it would take to go from this one side of the earth to the other? Yeah. If you jumped in the hole. Am I gonna am I gonna overestimate or underestimate? You're going to overestimate so far. And again, this is assuming what he's saying is actually true, but it's Neil deGrasse Tyson, so I'm going to take him at his word. An hour. 45 minutes. Dude. Uh. Where? Why? (laughs) Why? Wait, so. Anyway. Is that that just from the compounding force of gravity? Over a long enough yeah, yep. fall? Yeah. Wow. Yep. I mean, if wow. you think about like asteroids, how they essentially they start going fast enough to where they like start on fire. I think it's the same kind of concept. So obviously you'd have to have some sort of like super heat resistant suit, but you know. <laughs> minor but facts. I mean once you got once you got that suit, everything else yeah. is ready to go. <laughs> true. <laughs> true, true, true. Uh um Another thing I I never realized is that, and then as I promise, we'll move on from this book. But the um, 
So the concept of I never I didn't fully understand the difference between planets and stars, I guess, which sounds like a really simple thing in that like something you should know. Uh, but for whatever reason, I just didn't understand it. But uh, so planets themselves don't emit any light. They only reflect the light of the stars that they orbit. Um, and so then that's where it's like, I was like thinking about in the context of if you were on a star looking at the earth, the only reason you see the earth is because of the light of the sun and the stars around it reflecting off the earth, whereas a star itself emits light. And so that's why stars then burn out and go out of existence over time. One thing I don't know the answer to huh. is like how long it how long it would take because stars eventually burn out. Like I don't know if stars if new stars are continuing to be born. I don't, it's that if the universe is expanding expanding, I would think the answer to that has to be yes. But I actually don't know. I don't. I'm sure you could look it up, but which I, leads to another point that's my favorite, and it's it's the idea that. Uh, human beings are made of the same, of, of stardust, literally stardust. Like the yeah. carbon that's in stars is like the carbon that's in us, uh, which is wild. You need, um, so it's like not only do we share the same common genetic material with living life forms on Earth, but we also share a common genetic material with stars, uh, which is really cool, I think. That is really cool. That is. It is. I mean, I guess it makes sense from anyway, like a Big yeah, Bang perspective, right? If, yeah. You know, if everything started from a point of singularity, it just you extrapolate it to where we are today. I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of hard to conceive, but I suppose a logical trail there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it has to be the case that we share common material if we all originate from the Big Bang. I think it has to has to literally be true. Mm-hmm. Um, which in the theory of the big bang what do we know the answer or like how do they answer the question of like what existed before that was it literally just nothing just pure potential i i don't I know the answer to that. that i'm similarly so, illiterate i uh no i you know that sometimes i sometimes uh will get into like a little bit of a hole in YouTube and watch these type of podcasts yeah. or read Joe Rogan or whatnot. Yeah. The one that I have watched the most is that there's one of the, his name is Brian Cox. Um, he's a, he's a physicist. <laughs> Such a nerdy dude. Yeah, I mean, he is. Um, obviously. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> He does talk about there, and I think they call it inflation theory, and it, it confirms that there, space time was around before the Big Bang. That underneath this theory, right? Um, yeah. And then underneath this theory is that there wasn't necessarily a singular Big Bang, but there's like, I guess if you think of space as like a sheet. And as the sheet, like as you go further down the sheet, there's like continuous big bangs throughout like the time of space. So obviously, huh. so obviously, you know, at one big bang, 
there was a time before the previous Big Bang. That's an interesting concept. And then he, and then he fall like at the end. He ends it with just like, well, when I would listen to these the whole time, I'm just, I feel like I'm watching Interstellar all over again, and I just have my mouth open and have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and he ends it with, so you know, like obviously this leads to the logical conclusion that there's a multiverse. Not just, not just one Obviously. universe. And I'm like, all right, man, like I need a break. I like, I'll pick this back up in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. Damn. Uh, Josh, I'm curious to hear what is the, what's the deepest rabbit hole that you've chased on one of these binges and how do I get into it? <laughs> oh man. I mean, I think I ended up watching this Brian Cox is he's on Joe Rogan twice and both of them are like, three hours long and I'm and I have watched them all the way through both but also like I end up having to rewind it so many times because I just can't grasp yeah. or I like, comprehend what's saying so I feel like I've watched hours of this the Brian Cox guy and then I've looked into I've seen stuff with Neil deGrasse Tyson like you no know, I mentioned earlier he's, again uh just kind of hard to yeah. comprehend so some of the stuff that these guys say and uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of how I consume it. I, I, I do want to, I think, like, get more into books, but it's just easier for me to kind of listen to these guys just talk. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's really helpful for me personally having Joe, it'd be like the ones I've listened to have had like Joe Rogan on the other end who, I mean, doesn't necessarily have to be Joe Rogan, but I think trying to listen to two Brian Cox's talk would be impossible for me to follow. It's just like I'm sure. so, I'm, so yeah. it's just so intelligent over my head. I would have no idea what's going on. So, kind of just having like a layman in there asking questions that I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. very encouraging that he's on that he's on Rogan. Uh, I one of my one of my favorite parts of working at Alchemy right now is given the extended stretch of time that we spend cleaning the studio after we get done coaching, I just throw an episode of Rogan on and mop my little heart out. So Brian Cox is hot up on, on the on deck, uh, in the on deck circle, if that's the case. Yeah, I would definitely. He's got a cool little accent too. It makes it fun to listen to. Makes it easy to listen to for sure. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, I, the, I, I, all I was going to say is like the the whole all of this space stuff is just like you can only I personally it's like you need it in doses because otherwise you just chase your tail in like <laughs> you feel, I don't know for me personally it's just like I, I feel so in over my head and like mind blown or it's like I just need it I can't I, I can't think about this existential question yeah. So, uh, let me let me throw a a, a a related topic, but a slight pivot. Then, uh, outside of like actual science from renowned and overwhelmingly intelligent individuals, what's like the dumbest like conspiracy baloney? But maybe it's real, so we entertain it and have a good time thinking about it. 
type of theory rabbit hole discussion that you two have either come across or seriously entertained or both. I think mine is pretty. Uh, yeah, go ahead, easy. Josh. I think I think I, I've talked to you guys about this too, but I don't know if it's at this point. Honestly, I don't know if it's super uncommon anymore, or at least the idea of it. But that we're all living in a type of artificial simulation, a la Matrix style, where you know, this is all pre-programmed, and we don't know which one of us has taken the blue pill or the red pill, and like does anything like does anything even matter and then like noah said when when it gets to that point i'm like all right i need to like step back and pause i can't like comprehend this anymore yeah. <laughs> so uh, the since I, i've been fascinated i don't know why but it's since i've been a young kid i've always been like confounded by this idea of thinking about life as like a video game and it's like a first a first player video game. And so like obviously the perspective I only ever have is my own. And so it's like it's almost like somebody I'm the character in somebody else's video game. And like mm-hmm. they're playing this first person player video game, like ushering me through. And it's like I've started and then I started thinking about it like as a more like an RPG where video game where you like collect skills and like can level up. And it's, it's almost like you're a character in a video game and they like wind you up and watch you go. And they're like cheering from the stands of the universe, like sitting in the stars, looking down, like that's my character. Uh, it's always been a weird way for me to think about it. And if I think too hard about the fact that I'm the only person, like it's just the idea of the, just I like go into like uh like even the fact that my brain is like farting right now. It's like it's like I'm glitching. <laughs> I like <laughs> try to think about it. And the idea of like I don't know, just like that your point of view that you it's like a first person point of view, and it's like how can everybody else in the universe also have a first person point of view? And it's like just that that idea of like these separate consciousnesses each having their own first person point of view and that's it. Like, how is that a thing? Like, and then, and then I go, it's, you know, chase my tail forever on that. But I think that, uh, is part of the sim. sim Well, I think the simulation theory has many iterations, but, uh, I, the, the thing about the simulation theory. So Josh, do you want to just explain it for the people that don't know what it is? Yeah. I'm curious to learn more. Yeah, I guess I'll, I mean, I'll probably do a a pretty poor job at it, but essentially it's um, kind of like Noah said, it's almost like we're, our life isn't real. It's almost like we're being played like a video game or, you know, we're being run essentially as like a a computer program by some uh, superior being. um, I I guess I don't really know. No one really knows obviously but someone else we're essentially not in control of our own lives and i guess my easiest comparison would be like if you guys or anyone out there has seen the matrix in the last matrix where like neo gets into that room and he's there's like that tv screen where he's 
sees himself say like, no, this can't be true. Like a thousand times over again. It's essentially like that to where we're, there are these minor changes or minor differences that can occur throughout these sort of artificial simulations. And that's just kind of what our entire purpose in life is. We're almost like a, a, like a science experiment or like we're like a, a computer code and we're just being ran by someone else. We don't actually have any sort of control over our own like decision making in our lives or like what actually happens. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, whoa, first of all, <laughs> yeah. uh, second of all, um, you were saying earlier that this isn't any longer a super uncommon theory. Like I'm curious to hear as someone who's just coming into it and is admittedly, uh, I think because of just coming into it and just by virtue of how foreign a concept it is, uh, skeptical of a situation like this. Like what is, what is it that people point to, or if, if someone were to convince me that this is in fact our reality, what is, what do you think the arguments are that somebody would make or like, what has, what has compelled oh, you to continue yeah. thinking? So I'll I'll try to field that one and Josh chime in if you think about it differently. So yeah, I actually think that we can tie this back to this multiple Big Bang uh, theory, right? Because if you think about our trajectory on the level of technology and how our just increased consciousness and technological capabilities, you know, it's theoretically possible that as things continue to advance, we can essentially replicate the human consciousness uh, and create a Westworld type situation. Uh, as we get the technology to do so. And so the idea would be that there was a society that preceded us that made those technological advances. And now in some sort of experiment uh, is kind of figuring out, I don't know whether for what purpose, I don't know, but essentially that they have created this world uh, and are like running simulations on, maybe it's for their own purposes about how to figure out to run their own lives. I, I don't know. Uh, but that's at least how I understand the theory. Now I will say the thing that I don't think simulation answers is the origin, right? So, uh, basically what created the simulators, if there are some sort of higher intelligent being running the simulation, something would have to had to create that higher intelligent being. So we're stuck in the same place, uh, that I think we, currently are without simulation of it all has to start somewhere and that's the question that nobody knows for sure uh but maybe i'm thinking about it wrong well so okay an attempt to then piggyback off of that is it not unreasonable to think that say for example we as human beings get to a place where our technology advances far enough that we can write code yes. to create what is effectively sentient beings right like 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 it is, yeah. it is computer code but that they have awareness and that they are aware that yep. they are of their existence but they are not aware of their origins i just see that as like the next you know just like take it up a few degrees yeah extract like just zoom out a little well, bit farther yep i i agree and that's where it gets interesting that this like if we have the capability to do it what are the chances that we are the first 
species and or generation to do it. Uh, and who's right. not to say that it's just this re- repeating process of basically if, uh, if the people on a planet can survive long enough and not destroy themselves long enough, eventually they kind of elevate themselves to this situation where they then kind of spawn more experience, uh, more experiments below them. And it's kind of this repeating cycle in an infinite universe. And that's yeah. where it's like, uh, that's where it gets real weird because I actually don't think that, I actually don't think that simulation theory is irreconcilable with the idea of God. I don't think those two things are incompatible to be honest, actually, because I think it goes back to this idea of still you need, you have, you have the creation problem that still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, even if there is somebody running a simulation, they had to be created by somebody. And so I think it's theoretically possible that, you know, this gets to one of my theories and we can loop back to simulation, but I've talked with Josh about Josh before about, so Scott Adams, we've talked about in the past, Connor, he actually is one of like the main proponents of simulation theory. Hmm. Uh, so if, if you listen to his podcast with Joe Rogan or any of his podcasts they do, he usually brings it up at least once. But he's also got this book called God's Debris. And I think this is super fascinating when I think about the Big Bang. And so he, he poses the question of like, if you were God, what's, and you're like this all-knowing, all-powerful all, all being, what's the one thing you can't do? And it's kill yourself. And so if you, he basically poses this exercise, thought exercise of like, if you were God and you can't kill yourself, and you're starting to get bored in this infinite universe of nothingness, you might just try to kill yourself. And so his idea is that the Big Bang uh, kind of was God's basically destroying himself, and we as human beings are God's debris. Um, essentially, effectively, uh, on, the, on, the, on the, the course of history, like making our way back together, like like Humpty Dumpty, right? Like we're still... We're, slowly moving back to become God again. It's like the universe is, you know, wants to become whole again, uh, which I think is a fasc- fascinating way to think about it. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And I also, I also think, cause it's like, I know we've talked about in the past, like, well, a very stoic thing, right? Like we're all like different parts of the same whole. So it's, it's very consistent with that idea also. And I, what I think my weird theory that I don't own all that I've heard anywhere else, but I'm sure it exists out there is like, if there was a way for all of us, uh, basically to connect our consciousnesses like in the cloud. And so it's like basically collects all of the experiences of all human beings. Cause like that's, and so you'd have this like collective consciousness that takes in all of the perspectives and like has all of basically the full view from all of the human beings. Now, obviously this is a little bit of rabbit hole, but like obviously it would be a little flawed because it wouldn't have all of the minds of past generations in it, which it would also need to have the whole picture. Yeah. But if we could create this situation where from like, you know, 10 years forward, all of a sudden all of the consciousnesses of the world get uploaded into this, basically computer uh then what sort of like artificial intelligence mind wise intelligent being would be like would result from that 
and I think it's not inconsistent with the idea of the Oasis that we've talked about as like the Oasis existing as like effectively a pool of ancestral wisdom in, in like souls essentially swirling in a pool that then that that holds kind of all of the wisdom of everyone that's ever existed. I don't think it's that different. The idea that I'm talking about would just be having a way to pour all of that knowledge into some central repository. Is that, hmm. am I making any sense? Uh, you are. It, it, I mean, it, as much as these things can easily right. have one's head wrapped around. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but that's, that's uh, going back though to this, the simulation theory, I can't remember where we were at on that conversation, but it is an interesting thought exercise. Um, I don't know. I, the problem is, is I don't think it solves anything. Well, yeah. And it's, I mean, believing in the theory in of itself is believing in that it's insolvable, right? Cause there would be no way for us to prove that any quote unquote evidence either way isn't in itself simulated. Right. So like there, <laughs> I mean, there is no answer. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. Unless there was a way to break the fourth wall, right? Is that a proper use of that, Connor? Um, Where, like, the simulators, yeah, basically some rogue simulator uh, decided to reveal the simulation. Um, But again, like you were saying, Josh, we'd have no way of knowing. You'd start to question your reality. Yeah. uh, In that, in that, in that, um, which I think is one of the dangers of a world of virtual reality and where I think that space is going. Um, I think it definitely is going to create this situation where uh, people are going to immerse themselves in virtual reality. And then when they come out of it, they're no longer going to be able to discern which one is real and which one is fake. Um, And so it's going to be like this inception scenario where uh, (laughs) – You just you're not gonna be able to tell when you're in the virtual world and when you're in the real physical world, which is a very scary thing when I started to think about it. In that podcast I sent you, that Tim Ferriss one I sent you, Connor, uh, Blake Mikowski is the guy who started Tom Shoes, but he actually talks about I don't know, there's some I can't remember the name of the drug, but he talks about like a there's some drug that causes people to hallucinate, and he's like experimented with it, and apparently Tim Ferriss has too. Of course he has, but what happens on these like journeys, it's like a vision quest. It's like one of the things you take on a vision quest apparently. But what happens then is like for, for anywhere between like a week and a month, you have like these shock waves, these after effect shock waves where Blake talks about like waking up in the middle of the night and like, ha- like turning to his wife and like asking her if it was real. Like if this was real, this was real life. And so it's like, uh, if our mind can do that without virtual reality, just from the effects of drugs, I, I think that once that becomes an actual kind of part of life where people go into virtual reality and spend God knows how much time in that thing, then it's like what world is going to be real and what one is going to be fake. I don't know. And that's where I get, that's when I start to go like all black mirror on myself and think about the dread of, of artificial intelligence and where it's headed. But and, and I think, I've, I'm I'm ranting. 
and just kind of following up on that quickly, I think arguably for me at least, that the kind of the scary thing here is that I don't think we're honestly that far away from having to like have that problem be realistic. I mean, from a, a no. I guess, like a virtual reality in itself is already like a rapidly ex, like expanding technology, but to a lesser level, you know, you hear stories or you see some of these studies that come out for like, even the video games that we have now on the effect that they have on kids, right? You'll, you'll see stuff where like a kid will have stolen a car and just like run over a bunch of people and hit it in a bunch of other cars. And he's like, well, yeah. I don't know. It's like, he's like, well, I just do it on my video game. I didn't think it was like that big of a deal since I could do it there. I just thought I could do it. Obviously, yeah. virtual reality is a little bit nope. different as far as that, but. I mean, but it still holds true, right? Because especially in virtual reality with like the first person shooter games, it like it becomes that much more real. And if you like immerse yourself in that and you like increasingly become desensitized to this idea of you pulling the trigger to kill something. Yeah. Like, how could that not lead to a situation where you're just desensitized to it? I mean, it seems like an inevitable consequence. And one of the things to your point, Josh, is like, I don't think we're at, we're that far away from it. And so like these conversations about like the morality and like, do we want to go down this path? And like, what are the second, third order consequences of like introducing these things? Those conversations need to be happening now. Um, Not, we can't wait until they exist for it to happen because that's too late uh and so that's one of the things where like i when i when i do kind of get into a place of pessimism about the future that's one of the places that gets me there is like and uh if we don't start thinking about these things that the, the future is a scary place now the optimist in me says that some people are already thinking about these things uh i just think the conversation continue needs to continue to be had yeah and i guess another but, shout out joe rogan uh, Sam Harris, he is a neuroscientist and a bunch of other stuff like that. He talks about this and kind of just following up on two things you mentioned, Noah. He says, like, unquestionably, we are closer to there being, like, super intelligent, powerful AI within 50 years away than we are 500 years away. Yeah. I mean, 50 years is, like, we're all very much alive and kicking. And then he also talks about kind of not necessarily the, the doomsday scenario where a lot of people talk about with AI where, you know, they take over and are rulers of the human race or get rid of us. But he said he's more worried about right now, arguably the, the in-between time or the before period of that, where our, how our interactions with AI affects the human race. Mm-hmm. As far as, like you said, Noah, I guess, you know, shooting, but he said, if we create these beings there at first are just kind of, compulsory servants that do what we ask no questions asked no matter how we treat them like or will we then start treating people like that as well and then kind of just a slippery slope there yeah yeah he also talks about uh, josh i don't remember i don't know if you remember him talking about this but he also subscribes to this idea that like eventually we will effectively be able to plant a chip in people's brains that will correct his his thought is that violence and basically the bad things about human beings what we would call human what i would call certain like the bad parts of human nature he thinks that those can be essentially rewritten or like corrected by implanting something in a person's brain because he thinks it's all kind of imbalances in the neurochemistry 
is what results in like people doing bad things like killing or hurting. Uh, I don't, I don't think I subscribe to that belief, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, but he's also, so full disclosure, Sam Harris is also like a very, very, uh, outspoken atheist. And so he, he like debates like Jordan Peterson about this a lot. Uh, and, and so his idea is that effectively we won't need kind of ideologies or religion or anything like that to give us meaning. We know, we know how to live based on how it makes us feel. And the example he uses is like when you touch a stove, you know, it's hot. And so like, because that hurts, you know, it's bad. I think there are a lot of flaws with that line of thinking, but St. Harris, but he's obviously a lot smarter than I am. So who am I to critique him? Uh, but anyway, one of the more interesting things that he talks about is the advancement of technology, essentially being able to rewrite human nature and get rid of all the faults. Uh, can, can I? Which is a, can I, sounds like a very scary thing to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, so immediately, immediately, my thought is uh, who who decides what faults are exactly, um, yep. and yep. at risk of making this, you know, introducing yet another layer to this puzzle uh you know from from not that i studied a lot of it but from any intro to philosophy course anywhere or even intro to psych course anywhere we'll talk to you about the uh i I don't remember exactly what it's called like the railroad dilemma or something of the sort where you find yourself uh in a situation where a train is coming down the tracks that if you do nothing it will continue on its path and kill one person. Uh, and if you pull, or excuse me, it'll kill three people. Uh, but then if you pull the lever and dive and and change its path, then it will not kill those three people, but will instead kill one person. And so the question is, is philosophically and morally, like which of those decisions do you do nothing and allow the deaths of three? Or do you assume agency by virtue of pulling on the lever to change the train track and then kill one. Is that better to have killed one than to kill three? But then did you kill those three people by virtue of not doing anything? And like, so it's, it's maybe the morality is, is outside the scope of the consideration, but in a situation like that, who decides whether the right thing or the, the evil portion of human condition is to pull the lever or to do nothing. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and uh, this it probably is a yeah. subject for another podcast. But, but um, this is probably a subject for another podcast. But uh, there's actually like the, another similar type of the moral dilemma that introduces another wrinkle is in the context of like Nazi Germany and the Jews. And a Nazi says to a Jew who has two kids, uh, he pulls both of his kids off the back of a truck, and he's got one. It's one older brother and one younger brother. And this is, this is used to describe how uh, the concept of free will and how sometimes free will isn't all it's cracked up to be. And so it's the, the Nazi asks the Jewish father, uh, you choose one, which one should I kill? And so the question is, uh, and if he doesn't choose one, then both are killed. So it's like, does he choose the younger son? Uh, because for whatever reason, did you choose the older one because the younger one has longer to live? And so it's like this idea that there are certain things that just don't have right moral answers. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know. Josh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think Noah and I have shown you just a little bit into our deep, deep holes that we get into from time to time, Connor. Um, <laughs> I don't think you have answered from your perspective. Uh, that's fair. Um, I, uh, typically, typically if I'm, if I'm finding myself in a rabbit hole, I'm using it as an intellectual escape rather than as an, as an intellectual stimulant. And then if I want to entertain, uh, some of the thought I will, but I often don't, it's something that I'm going to really put a whole lot of stock into. So, uh, usually for me, that would mean like hopping onto Netflix and watching some like intentionally garbage rated show or like documentary produced for like $20 or something, or like a YouTube original docuseries or something. Uh, something that is, is like worthy where the pyramids put in place by aliens who were also pilgrims and in the matrix, like stuff like that, like just, just garbage. Um, but yeah. Uh, Hey, at risk of, of cutting this off. Um, I don't want to, I don't, I, I know we could ramble forever and ever and ever, but I'll be mindful of y'all's time here on yep. our Sunday evening. Uh, and in the interest of rambling forever and ever and ever, I say it sounds like we got to do this again. Yeah. It sounds like we got to do this again. Absolutely. And it has to involve ice cream uh, and possibly our first ever video and possibly appearance by Penelope and uh, all of those Not things. Meg. Not Meg. Not Meg. No girls allowed. Yeah. This is like the... <laughs> What's uh little rascals? Little <laughs> yeah. uh man yeah. woman haters club. All right, fellas. Well, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, Cheers. I just want to say thanks to you guys. Really, really appreciate the invite. Of course, dude. You're always welcome. You're always welcome. Invited or not, just just come on yeah. through. <laughs> We also got to talk next time, Josh, about uh, lessons from law school. We didn't get to that uh, because it always goes so fast. But that'll be a topic for next time, too. All right. Yeah, I mean, here it is. Nothing. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) All right, fellas. Have a happy Sunday. Happy ice cream day. I hope you enjoy it all. Uh, We'll talk again soon. You got it. Happy birthday, Lindsay. Love you. See you guys.